Hi everyone, it's Joe Wigand from Medora, North Dakota, gateway to Theodore Roosevelt National Park and home to the Theodore Roosevelt Medora Foundation. With their help, we're starting Teddy Talks. The April program is called 26 Days with the 26th President. Each and every day, I'll be reading at length from some of what uh, Theodore Roosevelt wrote and spoke during his lifetime. Uh, as we go through, uh, I hope that you'll understand why Theodore Roosevelt at the State Fair in Minnesota on Labor Day 1901 told the people there to speak softly and carry a big stick. You will go far. Teddy Talks are proudly presented by the Theodore Roosevelt Medora Foundation in Medora, North Dakota. To learn more about visiting or supporting our mission to connect people to the Badlands for positive, life-changing experiences, go to Medora.com. Now, enjoy the pod. Good morning, and welcome to Teddy Talks, for today, Friday, May 22nd, 2020, I'm Joe Wiegand, coming to you from Medora, North Dakota, gateway to Theodore Roosevelt National Park, future home of Theodore Roosevelt Presidential Library and Museum. And this weekend, home to the Teddy Roosevelt Show. Some of you that might be watching from nearby will have a chance Saturday and Sunday night to uh, bring uh, an interpretation, a performance, in the character of Theodore Roosevelt, uh, a salute to life in the Badlands and uh, Q&A with the audience in character. Always a, a great joy and a pleasure and an honor for me to do that. I've enjoyed being with you here. Uh, what began with the concept of uh, 26 days with the 26th president during the month of April. And now uh, again, 26 days with the 26th president during the uh, uh, month of May. Uh, Teddy Talks, the idea being that we go back into history and, and perhaps on this date in history go back and review some of the things that Theodore Roosevelt did, uh, said, wrote. And we've got a couple of speeches for you today from Theodore Roosevelt's May 22nd visit, uh, 1903, on his Great Western Tour. Uh, briefer speeches that he made in Tacoma and Olympia, Washington. Tomorrow, we'll conclude the week's programs with uh, another, uh, a couple of speeches from Seattle, Washington uh, in May uh, 23rd, 1903. Speeches, interestingly, about and to Alaskans. There was an Alaska banquet that was held in Seattle that, uh, that particular evening. And as well, uh, remarks from the uh, previous years, May 23rd and 24th, when Theodore Roosevelt made remarks aboard a French battleship at sea off the coast of Annapolis, and then the following day at the unveiling of a statue to Admiral Rochambeau, one of the heroes of our Revolutionary War. On this date in history, May 22nd, 1802, uh, the, uh, the uh, death of Martha Washington, First Lady of the United States, our first First Lady of the United States, May 22nd, 1804, the Lewis and Clark Expedition officially begins as the Corps of Discovery departs from St. Charles, Missouri. And, and of course, uh, we here in North Dakota are quite uh, honored to uh, help host some of the memorials to Lewis and Clark, a wonderful Lewis and Clark Interpretive Center in Washburn, North Dakota. 
many uh, visitors come through North Dakota following the Lewis and Clark Trail, uh, which uh, uh, was uh, cared for and, and modernized as some of the sites updated during the recent bicentennial, uh, during which uh, uh, one of our uh, dear friends uh, was able to chair that, uh, uh, chair that effort. May 22nd, uh, 1807, a grand jury indicts former Vice President of the United States, Aaron Burr, on a charge of treason. May 22nd, 1819, the SS Savannah leaves the port of Savannah, Georgia, on a voyage to become the first steamship to cross the Atlantic Ocean. My recollection is, uh, because the Bullock family was quite prominent in Savannah still at this time, that the Bullocks were involved in that, uh, in that effort. May 22nd, 1826, uh, the first voyage of the HMS Beagle. Uh, that's uh, Darwin's uh, uh, boat and Theodore Roosevelt, quite familiar with the, uh, uh, the writings of Charles Darwin, origin of the species and more. May 22nd, 1849, future United States President Abraham Lincoln is issued a patent for an invention to lift boats, making him the only United States President to ever hold a patent. May 22nd, 1856, Congressman Preston Brooks of South Carolina severely beats Senator Charles Sumner of Massachusetts with a cane in the Hall of the United States Senate for a speech Sumner made regarding Southerners and slavery. Uh, this, uh, uh, oh, this incident of violence is not unlike others that have occurred throughout our history, the history of other legislative chambers. Uh, emotions become quite heated and even young Theodore Roosevelt himself was not uh, uh, immune from this overboiling of emotions, especially when he was young. Recall he was elected to the New York General Assembly at the age of 23. And as a freshman member came and, and dressed in the finery, he was a bit of a fashion fop uh, at that time in his life. And one drunken Tammany Hall Democrat uh, uh, before a committee meeting made fun of young Theodore Roosevelt's clothes and may have used a derogatory phrase or two. Uh, Theodore Roosevelt said he knocked the man down. He picked him up. He knocked him down again. He picked him up and said, go and wash yourself. And when you're in the company of a gentleman, act like a gentleman. Uh, I do believe that's the only incident of uh, uh, fisticuffs that I, I come across with Theodore Roosevelt in his uh, uh, public duties. There is a story, however, where Theodore Roosevelt, again, a young General Assemblyman, uh, he's told by colleagues that uh, uh, some of the uh, uh, ruffians in the legislature, again, probably these rough Tammany Hall uh, 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 Irish Democrats from New York City, uh, that they had the plan because he was so diminutive, uh, they were going to toss him in a blanket, uh, which uh, if you've ever been tossed, uh, you, you can't get off. You're subject to the whims of those tossing you. Theodore Roosevelt uh, uh, went up to the chest of this man, uh, growled up at his face, and said, if you try to do that, I I'll uh, bite you, I'll scratch you. Uh, I do believe, he said, I will kick you in the... And, uh, well, the attempt to toss young Theodore Roosevelt in a blanket was, uh, was not undertaken, I think, because even at that young age, Theodore Roosevelt had uh, a reputation for not being one to bluff or bluster. I think that man knew that that uh, little scrappy fellow from New York City would uh, make uh, quick work of him. May 22nd, 1859, the birth in Edinburgh, Scotland of Sir Arthur Ignatius Conan Doyle. You'll remember him not only as a doctor, but a writer. He created the character Sherlock Holmes. 
In 1887, he published A Study in Scarlet, the first of four novels and more than 50 short stories about Holmes and Dr. Watson. Uh, they uh, are considered a milestone in uh, crime fiction. Theodore Roosevelt was a big fan of the work of uh, eventually Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, and uh, they would meet at the White House, meet in uh, London, England, and uh, out in the countryside during Theodore Roosevelt's visit. During the May 1910 funeral of King Edward VII, Arthur Conan Doyle, writing as a correspondent for the Daily Mail, wrote, quote, One remembers the strong profile of the great American, set like granite as he leans back in his carriage, unquote. I enjoyed seeing a picture again from that funeral and uh, a portion of it being marched by the crowns, the, the heads of state, the monarchs of Europe. Uh, you've got everyone from Archduke Ferdinand, uh, the man whose death would uh, spark the First World War, uh, Tsar Nicholas, Kaiser Wilhelm, many of these relations to uh, the uh, the royal family in England. Everyone's marching and epaulets and ostrich feathers and military dress and medals and sashes and marching in uh, uh, the rear and on the side, but with the other gentlemen, uh, and they're all men. Uh, it's Theodore Roosevelt in the garb of a civilian. Uh, his top hat and suit and his overcoat slung over his arm from the morning chill but he's marching in that parade representing a Republican form of government rather than a monarchy or a, a military government. So uh, May 22nd, 1872, uh, the Reconstruction Era, President Ulysses S. Grant signs the Amnesty Act into law, restoring full civil and political rights to all but 500 Confederate sympathizers. May 22nd, 1900, the Associated Press is formed in New York City as a nonprofit news cooperative. May 22nd, 1906, the Wright brothers are granted a United States patent number 821,393 uh, for their flying machine. May 22nd, 1915, on this date, Lawson Peak in California erupts with a powerful force. It is then only the second, uh, it's the first of two volcanic eruptions uh, in the United States uh, during uh, uh, the uh, 20th century. The other, of course, Mount St. Helens, its 40th anniversary recently declared. Lawson Volcano was named a national monument by executive order by Theodore Roosevelt in 1907. And uh, shortly thereafter, in 1914, uh, it was declared by Congress a uh, national park. Uh, actually, in 1916, declared a national park. That park, by the way, I've, I've been and visited and camped. It's 106,000 acres. It felt to me a little bit like uh, Theodore Roosevelt National Park at 70,000 acres. And uh, the national park here is open. We look forward to your visit. Do uh, practice safe social distancing as we reopen Medora. We're doing so under the guidelines of North Dakota Smart Restart. Uh, interesting to see the shops set up with their plexiglass and uh, proprietors uh, in some cases wearing masks and everyone uh, foregoing the, the handshakes and hugs with which we normally greet one another here in Medora. But uh, we're being, uh, uh, again, uh, uh, three C's, right? Uh, clean, careful, cautious. We uh, consider it uh, lots of C's involved there. How about a couple of speeches from 1903, May 22nd, this date, Theodore Roosevelt in Tacoma, Washington. It is the greatest pleasure to me to have come here this morning through the southwestern part of this great and beautiful state 
and now to have seen your beautiful city here on Puget Sound. I wish to express my acknowledgments to the men of the Grand Army and to my commander of the Spanish War for having come out to greet me. I also wish to express a particular word of greeting to the delegates of the State Sunday School Convention who have come here today and to say how glad I am to see them. Pleased though I am to see this marvelous material prosperity in which the state of Washington so abundantly rejoices, I am even more pleased to see the evidences in every city through which I pass of the resolute purpose of your people to build upon that material well-being the higher life without which prosperity by itself can have no durable basis. I believe in your people, in my people, because I believe they have in them not only the power to win success in actual affairs, to build up great cities, to turn the wilderness into a smiling garden, to build commerce and factories, but because I think that they have also the power to raise a structure of citizenship based upon decency, upon clean living and high thinking, upon the virtues that make men good neighbors, good husbands and fathers, and good citizens and their relation alike to the state and the nation. I wish to say just one word this afternoon to you here in this city of destiny, in this city by the sound, on our foreign policy, and upon what must ever be the main prop of any good foreign policy, the American Navy. In the old days when I first came to the little Missouri, there was a motto on the range, never draw unless you mean to shoot. That is a pretty sound policy for a nation in foreign affairs. Do not threaten, do not bluster, above all, do not insult other people. But when you make up your mind that the situation is such as to require you to take a given position, take it and keep it, and have it definitely understood that what you say you are ready to make good. I earnestly believe, and of course, I hope with all my heart, that there will be always peace between the United States and the other powers. But I wish that peace to come to us not as a favor granted in contempt, but to be the kind of peace that comes to the just man armed, the peace that we can claim as a matter of right. Of course, it is the merest truism to say that the best way to keep peace is to show that you are not afraid of war, if unjustly treated or wronged. The events of the last few years have shown that whether we wish or not, we must play a great part in the world. It is not open to us to decide whether we will play it. All that is open to us to decide is whether we will play it well. And I know my countrymen too thoroughly to have any doubt as to what their answer will be. You, men of the great civil war, fought to keep us a nation, to make us really one nation. You fought the greatest war of the kind, and because you dared to fight for four years, you have forever purchased internal peace for the Republic. Peace came to us for all time because you dared to fight. And the people who in your day called for peace at any price, if they had had their way, would have doomed us to generations of struggle, to generations of war. So you, my own comrades of the army and members of the Navy in 98, in the years immediately following, by what you did, you gave this nation an assured position, such as it could have acquired in no other way. 
and you made it infinitely less liable, not more liable, that we should ever, for instance, have serious trouble with any nation as to the Monroe Doctrine. The events of that war, moreover, showed that the United States had to be a dominant power on the Pacific Ocean. Our interests in the trade that goes across that ocean are such, our positions of command and reference to the ocean are such, that we must have a decisive say in its future. We can only have that say in peace by building up an adequate navy. If we fail to build an adequate navy, then sometime some great power, throwing off the restraint of international morality, will take some step against us, relying upon the weakness of our navy. And again, I know my countrymen, and I know that in such case they would fight anyhow. And therefore, in your own interest, I ask you to see to it that you do not fight with the odds against you, and above all, that by preparing sufficiently, you obviate all need whatever of fighting at all. The surest guarantee of peace is an adequate navy. The best possible assurance against war is an adequate navy. I ask for a navy primarily because it is the surest means of keeping peace, and also because if war does come, surely there can be no American who will tolerate the idea of its having anything other than a successful issue. In the fighting in Manila Bay and in Santiago in 1898, in which such ships as the Olympia and the Oregon, named for the northwestern coast and built on the Pacific Ocean, did their part. What controlled the issue of those fights? What was done at the moment? No, the preparation had been made in advance. The ships that won the victories of Manila and Santiago had been built years before, when there was no thought, and could have been no thought, of war with Spain. In 1883, we had a navy composed of antiquated warcraft, as unfit to go against a modern battleship as the galleys in which Rome and Carthage fought for mastery of the Mediterranean. If at that time we had been put in such a position as we were in 1898, bitter humiliation would have been in store for us before we eventually won. For, mind you, I think we would have eventually won anyhow. But I do not want to see a generation of humiliation precede the victory. We won because we prepared in advance. We built the ships, established the shipyard, created the army, armor plants, created the gun foundries, and we made ships which, in hulls, guns, and engines, need to fear no comparison with those of any power, and then put the men on them and trained the men to do their part in battle. The only shots that count are the shots that hit. I believe in marksmanship ashore and marksmanship afloat. You and I, my comrades, who fought ashore, had a simpler task in learning how to handle our weapons. Most of us knew something of the rifle in advance. If we did not, we had our time to learn it. But get on a big ship, and any man who has been on one knows it is a mighty complicated and delicate bit of machinery to handle the guns and the gun turrets, to handle the ship itself, needs the training of a specialist. You can take the best man alive and put them upon one of our modern battleships, and unless they have had some training, the fact that they are the best men alive will not help them. They have got to have the training. And it was because our officers and men were trained, uh, and trained well, that when the crucial minute came, we not only won, 
but we won at a minimum of loss to ourselves and a maximum of damage to the enemy. It is a pleasant thing to come together and congratulate ourselves upon the great deeds of the past, but that is not the way to prepare for great deeds in the future. In 61, the men of the Civil War won, not by attending Fourth of July celebrations, not by glorifying what had been done by the men of the Revolution, but by turning in themselves to try to distance the deeds of the men of the Revolution. That is how you did it. And we of the younger generation were helped by your example, because we felt that what you had done did not excuse us from effort, but required us to try to rise level to the great deeds of the past. I ask you, the sovereigns of this country, for you are the sovereigns, and therefore you are not to be excused if you do not exercise your sovereignty aright, to see to it that the work of preparing the Navy in time of peace goes on. The last Congress did its duty, no more than its duty, by going on with the shipbuilding up of the Navy, and see to it that the next Congress ends with a record as good. If we stop, we go back. The only way to do in building up the Navy is to keep on with it, to provide the ships, and to provide them that they shall be the best of their kind, and then to provide for the men on them, and for the training of them at the great guns and in sea practice, which shall make them in their turn the best of their kind. And I believe, I do not want to boast, but I believe that the American fighting man, if you will give him a chance, is at least as good as anyone else that the man on our ships, in our armies, will do everything that we can possibly demand of him if we give him the chance. And because he is such a good man, I ask that you give him the chance. It has been a great and a real pleasure to see you. Remarks at Tacoma by our President Theodore Roosevelt on this day, May 22nd, 1903. Uh, just a brief uh, uh, hello to the people of Olympia, Washington on that date to conclude our program today at Olympia, Washington, May 22nd, 1903. It is no wonder the people of Washington have shown themselves true to the practices and principles of the men who fought in the Great War. I have just been introduced to two of your fellow citizens, the father and mother of one of the gallant young fellows who in the Philippines captured Aguinaldo. With men such as you, and with two of your citizens, the father and mother of a boy like that, of course, you are expansionists. If you were not, I would want to know what was the matter with you. I congratulate Washington on its agriculture, its lumber, its mines, upon all that it produces, but most of all, upon its crop of children. Greatly enjoyed being with you this morning. Tomorrow, we'll gather here for Teddy Talks. Thanks for sharing these messages with your family and friends. I hope you've enjoyed them. I hope you have a wonderful Memorial Day weekend. I'll join you here tomorrow morning, Saturday, for a couple of uh, speeches from Theodore Roosevelt from May 22nd, 1902 and 1903. And as well, uh, on Monday, I'll be with you on Memorial Day, and uh, I will uh, find some Memorial Day remarks very often President Theodore Roosevelt was about the country on Memorial Day. All the best from Medora. Goodbye, good luck, and we'll see you down the trail. Take care.